This is the Doc Talk Podcast presented by Betfred Sports 2024, Episode 3. It's another edition of the Doc Talk Podcast presented by Betfred Sports. Good to have you along. I'm Travis Justice, joined by the one, the only Dr. Rob Zadiska. You know, Dr. Rob, that sweatshirt you're wearing today. We got a, uh, a message, I think, on YouTube, or it might have been an email, said, Hey, where did you get that? Augustana sweatshirt. The yellow one that says Vikings? Yes. So they don't make it anymore. It's actually, they they do like seasonal clothing and sell it at like their little stadium shop in uh, Kirkby Over Stadium up in Sioux Falls. Uh, so it's like the game day attire, like the, the Husker stadium shop. You'd get your, your Husker gear at down at a Husker game. They had these a couple of years ago and I picked one up and now I wish I'd bought like half a dozen of them. Because it's my favorite sweatshirt. Yeah, because you wear it all the time. Oh God, it's like it's comfortable as hell. You like my new shirt? That's a good look. I already I already told you I want to give your son money for that shirt. The new Owen Justice T-shirts hot off the press. They just came in this week. So I, I got I, I to ask: Is there a significance to the Bobcat? Ask Ask the visionary, Owen. Uh, or, or is it just kind of a badass God, feline? You know, it just looks cool. You know, it's actually a mount. I think it's a mountain lion. But that's why I chose it because it looks cool. It does look now that you say it. It's got a mountain lion tail. Yeah, yeah. that is not a bobcat yeah. tail. Now they have that little teeny one. Yeah, yeah. That voice you hear, and uh, we never talk. We I, I think in in the eight nine years we've done this podcast, might be ten years now. We've never done done a basketball podcast. Well, last week they did the reunion of the 93-94 Big 8 championship team. And I thought, you know what? We've never done a basketball podcast. So I reached out to Bruce Chubbick, and he has decided to come to the basement with us. When I said come to the basement, were you a little freaked out a little bit? No, I, I figured this is <laughs> actually, though, it is a, it's a, exceeded my expectations. Doesn't everybody have a sound studio in their basement? I, I, I don't know. And we're getting ready to go under a major renovation, so it's uh, we may have to go to a, a different studio for a little bit because Owen has started building like a, a different room over there. Then we're going to get kicked out of here, and we're going to redo it all in here. We're going to have like two separate studios, wood paneling, I mean like barn wood, a whole bunch of stuff. So it's... We're gonna we're gonna go big time, dude. This is I already think it kicks ass because I mean we have radio people down here, <laughs> and they're and they jealous. Look around and they're like, okay, this is better than what we have at work. <laughs> so you guys were at Nebraska same time. Did you guys hang out at much, or was it did football basketball hang out very much or not? I would say some some of yeah, the, some yeah. of the guys cross paths a lot, and I I mean, I, I mean I think a lot of it was one of these things. I mean from a time standpoint. It's kind of brutal time-wise because there's a lot of overlap season-wise. I mean, because even you guys are up and practicing about the same time. I mean, once we start playing games for football, you guys are getting going with the preseason practices. So it's not like you've got all this free time to go hang out. What was that reunion like? Was it, uh, it, it, was it cool to get together with everybody? Did it seem like it's been 30 years? No, it doesn't feel like 30 years, but it was very cool. I, Tom Best was a guy that I used to hang out with a lot and I've not, I had not seen him in 28 years. Really? Yeah. And we, uh, you know, we kind of laughed about it, but it's true. I said, you know, I had somebody ask me, Hey, have you, you talked to Tom Bass? I said, you know, no, I've not, I've not spoken to him in probably 28 years, not because I don't want to, just because his life goes one way, my life goes the other. And, you know, we haven't, we haven't made the effort to stay in contact. And so, you know, you kind of have that 
that thing going on. The same same deal with Pike. Like people ask me about, oh, you talk, you hang out with Pike much, and I'm like, no, because he's way out west, and I'm in Council Bluffs, and I'm kind of a homebody creature because you know I coach, I I'm a mortgage loan officer. My downtime, I usually am hanging out with my wife, <laughs> watching something on Netflix or whatever, you know. So it's just it was it was good to catch up, and then obviously Coach Knee. I've not seen Coach Knee and the better part of 30 years too. So was it an emotional reunion? Um, yeah, a little bit. I mean, not, I didn't, the waterfalls didn't come on or anything like that, but <clears throat> I'll give you a great example. Pike and I and Tom Best and DePriest Owens sat up and DePriest, I actually felt like I connected better with DePriest this weekend than I did when we played together. And that, you know, we're in the same position. So you get that comp- competition thing and maybe that was a piece of it, but it was good to catch up with him. But, um, uh, we sat up in the lobby of the hotel. We went and hung out, came back. Pike and Tom and I didn't go to bed till about 4 a.m. And when we got ready to, I think it was, and my dad was like, really? And I said, I said <laughs> yeah. And I go, I think it was one of those things where we were so enjoying the moment that nobody wanted to be the first one to leave. And so we find, I'm like, guys, I'd love to stay and talk till the sun comes up, but I got to go. We, I got coached tomorrow. <laughs> And uh, we we had like a little group hug thing, which I wish I would have had a picture of. That would have been a pretty cool picture. But it was Pike, Pike and Tom and I. And so cool, cool stuff. Do you feel like in – because you celebrated the Big 8 Tournament Championship. Do you feel like a – it's weird because the Big 8 doesn't exist. Nebraska's not in the Big 12 anymore. I mean, do you feel like somebody who went to Dana College where the college is shut down and there's like – I mean, where's your allegiance go to? Does it go to the Big 10? Does it go to the Big 12? Does it go to the original Big 8? How do, how do you guys look at that? I, For me, I, I still root a lot for the teams that were in the Big 8, like Iowa State. <clears throat> I, I grew up – so let me, let me get to that too. I, I grew up in Council <laughs> Bluffs. I didn't – moved to Atkinson. Everybody, oh, he's a Nebraska kid. I wasn't a Nebraska kid. I was an Iowa kid who just happened to, <clears throat> yeah. Look at that. Look at that, Rob. Guess what he is. <laughs> Guess what he is. See, that was going to be my question because I always, I mean, we were in high school at about the same time because, yeah. I mean, we both hit the door, what, 90, 91. Yeah. And so I always thought of you as like an Atkinson West Holt guy. Right, and I, we moved right before my eighth grade year. Okay, moved in. So prior to that, we lived two years in Montana, and before that, my whole life was in Iowa. I'm like a third generation Iowa fan, and so the dream was probably like a lot of young kids. Uh, <laughs> Every listener right now going, "I know why you brought Chubbuck on." Yeah, you're stacking the deck against Rob. I get this. I get this shit. Yeah, not not at all though. I mean, when you guys were, I. I I knew a lot of you, so I rooted. I rooted for you guys, obviously, because I know you. So, Hawkeyes or Cyclones? Hawkeye. Oh no, 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 Hawkeyes. No, no Cyclones. No, okay. No. See, which honestly, and we talk about this on the show all the time. Both my parents and my father-in-law all from Iowa. Okay. So it's like. I can't be overly mean to him. I would say most Husker fans don't know that about you. Do, do, do your teammates know that about you? I had no clue until just now. Well, actually, Woolridge, when he, he left to transfer, I said, you know, you're actually living out my childhood dream, right? He goes, what do you mean? <laughs> I go, I wanted to play for Iowa. They didn't offer me a scholarship, you know? And I, I took, which to me, it's it's actually a bigger compliment to the University of Nebraska because it wasn't, that wasn't like my one and only dream goal was to go to Nebraska. So I took my visits, 
looked at everything, you know, from academics to facilities to whatever, and Nebraska was the best choice. And so for me, that's a bigger compliment to the school than if all I wanted to do growing up was to play there because the facilities could have been bad and the program could have been bad, but I still wanted to play there because it was my dream. We were talking before we started, and you can be a fan of both, right? I mean, I think people get confused that, oh, my God, you got to hate one or or, or take – you're a fan of both. Right, and I I don't. So basketball, I root for Iowa unless they play Nebraska. And – you know, ideally that doesn't mean, uh, you know, Iowa gets in the tournament and Nebraska doesn't <laughs> because me, I'm rooting for them. No, I have nothing to do with it. But uh, no, I root for Iowa when they play anybody but Nebraska. So, you know, you did know, you, well, did you ahead. have an offer from Iowa? No. Um, Who was the coach there at the time? Tom Davis. Tom Davis. Was yeah. that Tom Davis? Okay. And I kind of uh, watching the special on Chris Street, they offered him so early that it would have been probably about the time that I was coming out. So I was like, well, that might've been part of the reason why I didn't get an offer from them. They knew they had Chris street already. And you know, he would have been same position as me probably. So they're going, yeah, we're already good there. Thanks. Well, and yeah, Chris was a hell of a player. I mean, God rest his soul, man. It was such a, cause it was just what, uh, two weeks ago, I think was the anniversary of his passing yeah. when he got hit by the snowplow. But yeah, I mean, cause it would have been the same position. Right. And, but it worked out. It worked, it worked out, out for you. Yeah, I would say it worked worked out great for me. I think Nebraska probably didn't want to return me, but you know, that's, uh, hopefully not. <laughs> they <laughs> well, get the receipt still. <laughs> you guys celebrated the the Big Eight tournament win. My, my question: Were you all tournament team that year? I was. Yeah. yeah, because those first two games, you kicked some ass down there, man. Yeah, you were... had a pr- couple of pretty good games. Yeah, P- Pike dropping forty two on Oklahoma. Of course, that's. It's like, oh, yeah, and he was on fire. I've gone back and watched that game. It was crazy. He's making shots from one foot inside or one step inside half court. A couple of them, I'm like, Wow, that's uh, – I, I just can't believe it's been 30 years. And if you look back, I mean, you had won the national title. You guys win the Big 8 um, tournament. I mean, that really was the high time for football and, and basketball together. We haven't seen it like that really since then in Nebraska, have we? No, not not that I recall. I mean, no. A couple of years later, they won the NIT, and you guys won. Yeah, won the second national second. title, which we were actually – I was with the Giants at the time, and uh, yeah, the NIT was at Madison Square Garden. And so the Giants hooked us up with tickets, and so my wife and I went and – we ended up, I mean, won that game over St. Joe's uh, to win the NIT. And I remember my wife and I running down onto the court afterwards and we're hanging out. I knew uh, Strickland pretty well. Yeah. And so I remember hanging out. We're like high-fiving and hugging with Eric Strickland after the game. And, yeah, that was a bla- – I mean, that was a great era for Nebraska basketball. I mean, it, in my mind, at least, as a kid grow- – because I grew up in Lincoln, Nebraska. Right. I mean, it was just – I'm about as – it's about his hometown as you can right. get. So it, it's like Nebraska basketball, Nebraska football, volleyball. I mean, everything was Nebraska sports for me as a kid growing up. Um, but I mean, we talk about Michigan State a lot. Both my parents are Michigan from Iowa, but Michigan State grads. Oh, wow. Uh, so I got kind of this clay. It's sort of like you, the whole like you root for Michigan State unless they play for Nebraska, and then you want Nebraska to kick their ass. Right. But. It's like all I knew as a kid growing up was Nebraska sports, and so when you hit that point of where you've got, I you've got Nebraska basketball going to the in my mind high school college. I mean, I guess it was college, but 
the idea that Nebraska went to the tournament every year was kind of the standard thing in that era. Right. Yeah. Well, <clears throat> I have uh, four appearances that I can claim to be a part of and also four L's. So. Well, I mean, Nebraska is still what, one of like three or four schools in Division One that has not won an NCAA tournament game. Right. They could get back this year. Uh, they're on the bubble. They're right now an 8-9, seen somewhere in a 10 seed. They got beat at Maryland this past weekend. I, I don't know if the I, I don't know if there's still yet a, a fever for Nebraska basketball, and I don't know if there has been since Danny Nee. I remember when the when the tide shifted. It was the day Tom Osborne retired because Nebraska played Creighton that night, and Creighton had won for the first time in like forever. Yeah. And then the long winning streak that Dana had just and, and it hasn't really been the same since like 1997 for Nebraska. There's been ups and downs, but nothing that we saw. In those years under Danny Nee, why, why do you think that is? Why, why, why do you think Nebraska basketball struggles? Listen, facilities aren't a problem. No, Money's not a problem. No, um, you know it's hard to put a finger on really because you know Coach Nee's era, the recruiting was phenomenal. I mean, we had we had two guys from Chicago, Westchester, St. Joe. You know that that doesn't happen very often. That they go, oh, you know, never mind the Illini. Why don't you come play for Nebraska? And the guy goes, yeah. Sounds good. Let's go. You know, it doesn't happen that much. <clears throat> Dupree Owens was McDonald's All-American at Mansfield, Ohio. They get him, you know, and, and, you know, Bryce McGowan's, I know people are going, well, he was pretty good. Yeah, he was, but it was a different era. Guys didn't go one and done very much at that point in time. And so, you know, I think had Bryce stayed around and they had a chance to develop him, I think, you know, that, that was – the other thing that you saw underneath, you know, he red shirts Pike and I as freshmen. We're running around campus and people are going, you guys are 10 and 18. Yeah. And you're red shirting. Yeah. Well, you must suck because you're 10 and 18 and you got a red shirt. You can't even play for a 10 and 18 team. And we're like, no, you know, they're, they're trying to build for the future and blah, blah, blah. And people are like, okay, good. Sounds, sounds good. You know, but <clears throat> that was neat. Knee he and I have talked a little bit since, and he said, you know, I'd like to see Fred do that more, like rec recruit high school kids, but redshirt them. You can't do that, though. Can't. I mean, no, you're, you're, hard, you're coaching high school. There's no way kids today are going to go, especially in basketball. I think football, you can get away with it. In, in football now, you can play four games at least. You can kind of – Yeah, and you, that makes a difference. And you can play, what, up to 50% of your games in basketball and still redshirt? I, I didn't even know that. Yeah, man. I think you can redshirt. You can play up to 30 to 50% of your games. Really? Yeah. I think you can play a little bit. Damn, but kid, but God, that, I mean that's a game changer in my mind. But, but basketball is different than football because kids want to play right away. Right. I mean they, they they expect to do that. Yeah, I don't I don't think you can redshirt like you did. I, I maybe that's just me. I mean you're with those high school. Kids. What's I mean? What is the transition from high school basketball to high school to college basketball like? And I ask that in the sense. It's not a small jump in football. And I always look at the guys, the, the true freshmen who play Division One football, it, it's, there's not a lot of them, and there's a reason for that. And the guys who do truly are really, really good football players. D do you see that same – I mean, is that gap narrower in basketball? I, I, for the most part, I would say no. Uh, the physicality – at the next level, it doesn't really, it doesn't have to be division one. When you jump from, you know, the GPAC conference in Nebraska is a good basketball conference, a good NAIA conference. 
if you go look at the guards in the G-Pack and compare them to the high school guards, they're 10 or 15 pounds of muscle stronger than most of the kids. So the kids go on to the next level and think, oh, yeah, I'm just going to do this like I did at, you know, just throw at, at Omaha Central. And it doesn't work like that because you're going against guys that are a couple years older. They've been in the weight room a little bit longer. They're a little bit stronger. And, you know, it's an adjustment period. It's And, you know, coming from Atkinson, West Holt to Nebraska was, was a really big jump. And I'm going up against guys going, man, I got to get in, in the weight room and eat food or I'm going to get killed every day. Do you think that that – no, I guess my follow-up question to that is do you think that developmental gap has shifted over the years? And Because, I mean, I look at now that – when I came out of high school, I was like one of the few guys I knew who lifted weights all the time in high school. Now the third stringers are lifting weights nonstop. And so in, in, in football, that there's a little bit of a developmental gap that was there 30 years ago that it's a smaller gap now – you look at all these guys who are playing AAU half the year. They're they're going to the Warren Academy. They're going to all these training centers, and they're getting bigger and stronger while they're still in high school. Have you seen that on the basketball side? Yeah, it definitely is a is a thing in basketball too. Um, the the technology changes everything. Weight technology, you know, nutrition technology, every, everything. All of our our innovative stuff that has come down in the last 30 years or whatever it's been 35 I guess since I graduated high school are they change things which is also kind of get you get back to like people say Bill Russell oh Bill Russell wouldn't have been any good in this area I'm like bull no way I'm like go look at pictures of Bill Russell when he was playing look how strong he was and they didn't lift weights throw him in today's nutrition weightlifting he would be who he Dominant. was now, you know, and that's, I, I don't, I don't buy that argument. I, I think you make that for all the, I mean, <laughs> I always say the cream rises to the top. I, I, I've been fortunate enough having covered local sports for a long time. It, the cream always rises to the top. I think the cream would rise to the, you, you could take, I mean, would Jordan be the player is today? Yes. Because yeah. there's a mentality about it. Right. I right. mean, it's just, yeah. I mean, that's just one of those things. Cream <laughs> always rises to the top. And he would have taken advantage of every, every innovative thing that was out there to make himself that much better. Cause he was driven like that. That's just, I mean, that gets underestimated. That's why it's hard to compare eras. And, you know, obviously I watched Jordan all the way through and I, I like LeBron and a lot of guys, my age are like, Oh, LeBron, blah, blah, blah. And this and that and the other thing. And I'm like, yeah, but, uh, I'm watching how many times did Michael Jordan score 40, 40 points when he was 39, none, zero. I mean, the longevity thing has to factor into it for me too. He's done it so well for so long. Is he the greatest? I don't know. I mean, you you probably got to argue that's. I'm, an, I'm an MJ guy. I think yeah. it's just a preference. I mean, hell, <laughs> right. there, there are some people who tell you that Kobe's the greatest. I mean, right. I mean, so there. I mean, there's that argument of is it MJ? Is it is it LeBron? Is it Kobe? You, you'd get that argument with a lot of people. So mm-hmm. it, it is interesting to compare the the eras, uh, but it's it's apples to oranges almost every single time, right? So, so how often do you get back to watch Nebraska basketball? Was that uh, one of your first times back, or do you do you go back more than people know? I usually get down a couple of times a year um this since i've become head coach at central it's it's been a little bit you know i'm game planning for the next team we're gonna play so i watch a lot on tv i don't go down in person as much but i like to go down i i really like fred nate Linzer has become a pretty good friend of mine too that's on the staff he's 
does a great job developing the kids. So I see kind of the behind the scenes stuff and I get tired of it. Oh, you think they're going to make it blah, blah, blah. And it's almost like people rooting against them. And so there's been a little bit of satisfaction on my part to be able to see them have some success this year because it's like, okay, you know, maybe get a chance to shut the haters up a little bit. So from knee, they went to Barry Collier for Barry Collier went to doc Sadler from doc Sadler. They went to Tim miles. Then they go to Fred. Who's been the most welcoming coach back for, I, for you guys? For me personally, I would say this current staff. And, I, you know, that might be Fred and I played against each other, obviously, so that might be part of it. Uh, Nate and I have become pretty friendly, so I think that's part of it. Doc was really pretty welcoming when he was here. Tim Miles I did not care for. Um, really? Yeah. Why is that? Um, really primarily, and I'm just going to put this out out here because there's been a couple of narratives that have been floated that are just not true. Uh, he, he recruited a Gwukarope. He offered him a scholarship as a sophomore. Mind you, I've never talking. I've never talked one time in my life to Tim Miles prior to this. Now explain the story with <laughs> a rope and, and, and in your relationship with him. So uh, a Gwuk had two, two older brothers, a, uh, a rope, a rope and Makora rope that both played for us at South when we were at South. A Gwuk obviously was the, the middle brother, I guess, if you want to call it that of the ropes and, you know, obviously very gifted. We, we knew it in eighth grade, he was going to be special. Uh, but I was a little bit surprised here in Nebraska offering him a, as a sophomore, but on the other hand, I'm looking at it going, well, you know, you don't want to get beaten to the punch, especially when it's a hometown guy or a home state guy, be first to that. And, you know, so miles tells me on the phone that day. And like I said, we've, we've never spoken personally. He and I till this moment don't know how really? he don't know how he got my number. Don't know how I end up talking to him. He calls me when I'm at Planet Fitness working out. <laughs> Tells me. Uh, so this is not on the uh, the the bath, the athletic department office. No telephone at school. <laughs> not so he's already been offered or, or okay. He, yeah, he's already offered. Okay, and so Tim calls me and says, "Hey Bruce, you know, just wanted to touch base with you. You know, I got your number. Thought I'd give you a call, talk to you about a book." I said, "Sure, Coach. What do you want to know?" And he said, "Well, you know, obviously." Uh, he goes, you think I'm crazy for offering him? I go, come on. If you thought you were crazy, you wouldn't have offered him in the first place. I go, what do you really need to know? Ask, ask me what you need to know, and I'll tell you. And he goes, well, obviously we see that you know there's there's something there on the court. What is he like off the court? How's his work ethic? And I said, work ethic is exceptional. He spends a lot of extra time. He's usually one of the last kids to leave every every day. Um, it's like, what, what about behavior? Is he getting in trouble? I'm like, no, he's, you're never going to have to worry about him. How is he as a student? He's a great student. And so he's like, well, listen, man, the only way we'll ever back off of him is if he doesn't, if he gets in trouble off the court or he stops, stops working on the court. And I go, sounds like you're going to be in it for the long haul then coach. And somewhere along the line, one of the assistants decided a wasn't good enough to play for Nebraska. Tim buys into it. Tim backs off and tries to get UNO to come in and offer him to take him off the hook so he doesn't look like such an ass. And <clears throat> through a couple back channels, my dad finds out that Nebraska coaches, Creighton coaches, and UNO coaches had all had a golf outing together. Darren Hansen calls and offers a gook like the next day, and my dad's like, 
uh, I think he's pretty set on Nebraska, Coach. You know, thanks thanks for calling. You know, if something changes, we'll let you know. But I think he's he's dead set on going to Nebraska. And my dad hangs up the phone and is like, "That's that's weird, weird, weird thing." And so he hears about this golf event the next day. He calls up Tim immediately and says, "Coach, I know what you're doing." He goes, "You're you're getting cold feet and you're trying to shop him out to somebody else to save face." And that's not okay. Mind you, this happened after the AAU season was over. So he couldn't reopen his recruiting. Oh. So, so they wanted to keep him in state. R- right. And then he made it look like a gook changed his mind. And I'm like, no, that is a false narrative. That is not what happened. The only reason he's not there, you changed your mind. Own that shit. Take ownership of it and, you know, say, yeah, we, we don't think he's good enough. And then he goes to San Diego State, who's national champion runner-up. And I'm going, hmm, he wasn't good enough for Nebraska, but he's good enough for this runner-up of the NCAA tournament. You said something interesting there, because I, I had a conversation with Josh Lukey, who's the head coach over at Prep. And my son had gone to Prep, and Cole Arope mm-hmm. went to Prep. And he was talking, I, and I'm paraphrasing, and I'm trying to remember the right. So, Josh, if you watch this, uh, I apologize if I get it wrong. But he brought up something very important in the recruitment of a Cole. And that is, he goes, I don't see coaches anymore because they all recruit AAU anymore, but they don't come to get, see the kid in the school, to see what they're doing academically, to, to ask me who spends probably more time than an AAU coach did. Are you seeing that on your end too? hundred percent. Yeah. That's Josh and I would agree. A lot of people would go, you guys agree on stuff, but th- that would be, that would be one of the things that we do definitely agree on is that I, I don't hear from now. I am now more than I had previously, but I'm like, if I'm a college coach, I want to go watch. I'm like, coach, where can I watch practice where he doesn't know I'm here? Cause I want to see how does your motor run when you don't know if anybody's watching or not? Or you, do you, do you go at it hard like you would anytime? Or are you putting it on because you know, I'm here watching you. So I'm, I'm like looking for that corner that I can go into and watch this kid's work ethic and see what he's about. So that story you just told about Tim Miles, do you think that filtered down to other high school coaches and they knew that and maybe why some Nebraska kids didn't go to Nebraska? That I can't really speak to. I mean, I didn't, I've, I've not had those conversations to know if that was common for just, just me. And, you know, then I'm, I'm taking crap on Twitter and whatever. Like, oh, you're just mad because your kid wasn't good enough to play for him. I'm like, no, I'm mad because Tim Miles flat lied. And, you know, I I wasn't the hugest fan of him before because he always felt to me like an is it inauthentic or unauthentic person. He's, he's unauthentic. Like, yeah. Or is it inauthentic? You're the you're the doctor. You should yeah, know you're, this you're stuff. The you, smart guy. You're the Come smart on. guy. You got a 35 on your ACT. Not authentic. Not authentic. That's the best way to do it. <laughs> How about doing that? <laughs> yeah, and that, and that's that's one big difference I see between him and Fred. I think Fred, what you see is what you get. There's not a there's not a back story to this guy that he's this 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 guy in public and this other guy in private. What you see in public is what he is in private. And for me, I like the guy. So the public and the private for me are perfect because he's, he's understated. Now he's fiery. That's, that's a, that's a misconception with him. If you go to practice and you watch practice, it's, he's, he's got a calm demeanor on the sideline during the game, but in practice, if he needs to get after guys, he gets after them. That's not, you know, 
he he's a good guy. He's a nice guy. He's a fair guy. But if you're not working hard, you're going to hear from him, and you're not going to love it. <laughs> I think you'd. I mean, to to and I mean, Fred played at a high level. I mean, I right. Fred won't remember this, but I was, the first on-air TV story I did at KCCI in Des Moines was on Fred Hoiberg when he was a senior in high school. I mean, you don't get to that level without being a fiery guy, right? I mean, you. I mean, you have to have some level of absolutely, absolutely, because you're going to get pushed in practice. You're going to get pushed in the game. If you're not ready to respond and meet fire with fire, you're you're going to fall behind. I mean, this guy right next to me knows as well as anybody you're ever going to talk to about that. I, I, would, yell, I yell a lot. I wish I would have known you better like when you were playing because you're just this mild-mannered beer drinker that drops a lot of F-bombs with me. I mean, you and I have hung out. <laughs> Fuck, dude. I, I mean, you and I have hung out so much together. I, I Besides yeah, my I'm, wife and kids, you're I've spent more time with you in the last 10 years than any human being alive. But I think every athlete's a little different in terms of how that intensity, fire, focus, passion, whatever you want to call it, how they use it, how they focus it, whatever. Um Man, I didn't say much as a player. I mean, I was really quiet out on the field. Who who was the who was the rah rah guy? Who was the get in your face? Say hey. I mean, I mean, Zach was. I mean, we were talking beforehand. You were hanging out with Zach this past week. Um, Zach was the talker. I mean, he was the guy that would get fired up if somebody was going to get in somebody's face. Is probably going to be Zach. Uh, Sty could be a little bit like that too, but Sty was one of those. Yeah, just you know, wait till the next play, buddy. Yeah, I'm just gonna take your head off the next play. He was that kind of personality. I, I mean, the guy that was probably the most dichotomous. I gotta throw a big word in there. Look at, at you point. using big words, dude. I gotta stop it. I'm super smart. Thirty five. Um, but yeah, yeah, he didn't get a thing. He wasn't perfect though. So <laughs> wonderful. God damn it. Anyway, um, but now like Will Shields. Like Will Shields, who spoke like I think seventeen words off the football field his entire college career, maybe pretty goddamn good basketball player too. Yeah, um, uh, Will was the guy when you got him on the football field. Oh my god, he and Weger like ninety two nine like like ninety one ninety two. He and Zach over at the right guard right tackle spot non-stop banter it was it was constant an entire game they'd be going at it with the guys across the line from them that was where all these stories about the hey we're going to run the ball right here guess what the ball's coming up your hole buddy they're saying that to the d tackle the linebackers hey we're going to double team you and kick the shit out of you on this play because this is where the ball's coming it's a tailback dive right up here uh, up this hole right here buddy like those two guys would be going at it the whole game. But you look at Will Shields, who legitimately doesn't talk off of the football field. You get him Different on it. Different switch. Yeah, hit a switch and it's nonstop. Who was the shit talker on on that uh, on that Big Eight championship team? You? God, I probably would have been up there. I really? Suppose. Yeah, but not <clears throat> not with my my teammates. Like with my teammates, I always felt like you know I got. I was the I was captain junior and senior year. Junior year, uh, the players voted on us. It was Jamar and I. Senior year, Coach Nee appointed the captains, and it was basically all the seniors. But I always felt like if you were going to lead, 
you got to lead by example first. If you're not going to lead by example, who's following you? I'm not following you. If you say, hey, we got to do this, and then I watch you not go do that, I'm like, shit, Travis, why am I following you again if you're not going to do what like you're saying? Most people say that about me. <laughs> we we should do, and you're not going to do it yourself. Yeah. That's kind of like, so for me, that was always, you got to lead by example. And then when you, when you speak up, you got a little bit of, there's a little fire behind it. Guys are going to like, oh, this guy busts his ass. We got to follow him. The where the shit talking probably got into it was with the other team because you know I'm six seven I'm playing against my senior year I'm playing against big country seven foot wow I'm, he stayed I, I'm guarding him I'm guarding Javon Crudup who was six nine it looked like he got chiseled out of marble two forty with shoulders as big as your head and I'm like okay this, this is gonna be a fun, fun year Lauren Meyer from Iowa State yeah. was 6 10 or 11 and 275 or 280 whatever he was and Ostertag those are wow. four of my guys I'm guarding on a nightly basis in the big eight and Ostertag's what seven feet 300 yeah. pretty pretty yeah. much so and big country is probably the most famous out of that. I mean, Ultra yeah. Tag was big because yeah. I mean, Meyer was a decent player, but he had Fred. I mean, Fred was the star on that right. team. And Mika no Leak, he had Mika yeah. Leak. Julius, yeah. he's a soccer coach yeah. now. Yeah, you know? that doesn't that doesn't surprise me. Yeah. Julius is a good good dude. Yeah, he was at uh, he was at my alma mater for a long time. He was at Tri Center Neola. He was yeah. the soccer coach at Tri Center Neola for a long time. If they have soccer in Iowa, yeah, I know it's a stupid sport, but they let him play it. <laughs> I mean, because parents demanded it. I mean, come on, do you really like soccer? Did you let your kids play soccer? Brennan, our oldest daughter, played soccer until she... And you hated it. You hated every minute of it. Actually, no. It's kind of God, I, God, what's wrong with you? I like all sports, man. I like everything. Oh, I, know. I know. I like swimming. I mean, you look at my kids. I got like a high school swimmer who became a college rower. Yeah. It's like, I know more about crew than I ever thought I would ever know about crew. You're up on me. <laughs> it's... It's interesting. It is super interesting what? stuff. But what? anyway, the that's a hell of a lineup of people you're talking about. I mean, I think people forget about how good the Big Eight was. Oh, I mean, you go back to, I, I mean, like the high water mark of the Big Eight in '88. Was it '88 when you had Danny Manning in Kansas against it, it, Oklahoma it, for the national yeah. title? Yeah, right? yeah. But yeah. I mean. And look at the and look big, at the Big, big Twelve yeah. next year with Arizona, Arizona State, Utah. That's yeah. the year K State was in the Final Eight too. So yeah, three of the Final Eight were Big Eight teams. Lon Kruger was the coach at K State at that right, time, right? Correct. Okay. Yep. So when you know that year of ninety three, ninety four, when did you know that? Did you did you have a feeling you guys would be able to win that tournament, or did? And what seed were you? I forget what seed you were. We were four. Wow. We came in as a four seed. We had gotten beat by Missouri, which obviously has been reliving the old memories that, that was in the the newspapers and radio shows and stuff. But we, we had gone to Missouri, played. Missouri was undefeated 13-0 and when we went in. We really felt like we kind of got the bad end of a, a disproportionate amount of calls that day, thought we probably should have won the game. And, you know, they're they're leaving, going, oh, we're 14-0, and it's – the calls were fine, blah, blah, blah. And we're like, no, they weren't. And we're going to be four seed. And you're one. So we got to take care of Oklahoma. But that means we see you in the semis. And we were we were ready. I mean, you had to take care of Oklahoma first, obviously. But that was kind of a 
we were going to do what we needed to do to make sure we got back to that semifinal and got a chance to play them. So you were pretty motivated going into that tournament. Oh God. Yeah. Yeah. We, we felt like, you know, I think we had won four or five games or five of six games or something coming into that, that game against Missouri. So we, we ended on a hot streak and we're like, man, we're as good as anybody out there. This team's undefeated. We really should have beaten them on their home floor. So when we go to neutral court next week, game on you know and that's that's kind of was the mindset and I think we talked about winning the tournament the whole week prior to the tournament everything leading up to that we're like no we're not going to win a game we're going to win the whole thing like you got to take one step at a time you can't go in and underestimate especially in that league you couldn't underestimate anybody Oklahoma obviously was a really good team but we just the focus was We've got to we got to find a way to to win the whole thing. And that third day, the third game in three days, when it's that level, kind of becomes a war of attrition. Like you've you, mentally and and physically, you're you're up at this high level for those two days, and it's whoever's got enough le- a gaff, gas left in the tank to finish. Because you had double doubles in the first round, and the second round, right? Yeah, and I barely missed. I think in the third, I think I was nine points and seven rebounds or something like that was, was that the missouri game the third round missouri was missouri was uh semis okay so o- that's semis okie state we played in the final okay they beat, they beat ku i think one one was two one was three i think ku was two okie state was three and okie state beat ku uh, i was kind of hoping we'd see ku in the final just because i liked competing against roy williams's teams he was I told him before, I said, Coach, I don't know what's going to happen, so I'm going to tell you this before, and you won't feel like I'm trying to butter you up tomorrow if you win the game. But I've enjoyed competing against your teams. You run a class program. Your guys are good guys. Uh, you know They come at us with what everything they've got, and likewise on the other side, but it's been, been fun competing against you, and we shook hands. And um, Owen went to KU for – he went to KU. I've I, I never been to Fog Allen until he went to school down there. Is Fog Allen the best place you've ever played? Oh, my gosh. It's like – to me, you know, when you start talking about hallowed uh, facilities, you know, aesthetically you may say, oh, this place is newer and nicer and it's got all this technology – that if you're a true basketball purist, there's not very many places better to walk. It's funny you say it because when he did his college visit, we walked in when it was empty. I'm like, uh, yeah, yeah. you're just like, <laughs> like this is it. I mean, it was like a, 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 a out of a gym out of an Indiana movie. It was like Hoosiers, right? right? right you walk in, right. like this is it. Then I went down. I think my first game was uh, was Villanova, Kansas. The year after Villanova won the national title, all of a sudden everybody's in there. You're like, oh, this is a this is a different experience. Now I get it. Yeah, yeah right. Yeah. You right. you you really really get it. Um, best Danny Dean story. Oh yeah, we're we're podcast, so I can do that. You huh? can do that. You can say you can say anything you Ooh. want. Forgive me for the language I'm about to use. <clears throat> uh, so we're. <laughs> <laughs> rock, rock. Rob is already laughing. He's choking up. So <laughs> sorry. I just. I mean, I drop f bombs like it's nothing. <laughs> my, my dad knows this story well. He like makes me retell it all the time. So I think it was. I want to say it was Iowa State. We're on the road. Now we beat Fred seven out. Of, well, we beat Iowa State. Fred wasn't there the first year we beat him, but. I was seven and one against Iowa State. Now that was Orr was still the coach there. Yeah, right? he was. yeah. Okay. He was. God, all the old Big Eight coaches. I mean, yeah, because I mean, you just met Roy Billy, Williams, Billy, Billy Tubbs, Tubbs, Eddie Sutton, Norm Stewart. 
Sutton Man. Stewart, yeah. right? Dana Altman yeah. was at K-State. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, that's that's quite a – and Coach Nee, obviously, you know, winning his coach in Nebraska history. Might so. be some of the most colorful coaches. Yeah, you don't see that. You don't see that – I mean – You don't see personalities like that. Yeah. No. All in one conference. Wow. So the story uh, – it might have been Michigan State. We we had beaten Michigan State on a last-second shot by Bo Reed the year prior. We go up to, to East Lansing. And that was the game in Lincoln. Yeah. I was at that game. That was my – was that 93, that was 92? 91. Were you wearing a Sparty shirt? Actually, it probably been 90 because we played them before Christmas, so it would have been 90. Okay. I was at that game. Um, so that would have been – like January, February of ninety, probably December. December of ninety, maybe, maybe late November even. Oh, do you know what that was? That was my rec- my official visit to Nebraska. <laughs> they I took you to senior, a basketball game. Just, yeah, we went to the Michigan State game, yeah. and I thought this was like God. This kicks ass. Both my parents are Michigan State grads, and we're gonna win, and they did, and it was awesome. Right in, right I was at side. that game. That was my senior year in high school. I had a comfortable seat on the bench. It happened right in front of me. Both shot that that won the game. Anyway, we go up to we go up to Michigan State the next year, and I think they they recalled the game winning shot too. So they were they were ready for us. They were kicking our ass. Knee calls timeout. We come walking over, and he goes, "Hold it right there, cocksuckers." <laughs> and I'm like, "Okay, okay." <laughs> The he standard goes, Tom Osborne-esque he, he goes, language right there. He goes, there. no, don't even worry about the fucking bench. He goes, you guys look like fucking shit. You, listen to this fucking crowd. I'm like, coach, I don't need you to take time out to tell me to listen to the crowd. I hear them really well from where I'm at. <laughs> like, what are we going to do? Well, we're going back zone. It was MF, MF, this, that, and the other thing. All right, we're going back to zone. That was the whole timeout. Wow. Like three seconds of strategy and 57 seconds of uh, MF and everything <laughs> else. And I'm like, and he's, he's like, oh, yeah, you know, the language back in the day. I'm like, coach, it's not that big of a deal. If we, if we didn't set it, if we didn't say it ourselves, we definitely had heard it a lot by then. Do you think your reunion was harder for Danny just because, I, I, I mean, he's, he's older now, he's reflective. I mean, he had a good thing here. I, I mean, he did. Uh, he was always kind of looking for a job it seemed like um i I don't know do you think it was you think the the reunion was harder for him because it may be the last time he sees a lot of you guys interesting moment with he and i which it was just he and i so i don't think anybody else even heard him say it he goes well i hope they don't boo me when we're getting ready to walk out on the court i go coach you don't have to worry about that that's not that ain't gonna happen and you know they he was like seriously embraced by the crowd which I think was that's a little cathartic for him because I think he left here with a little bit of bad blood, um, you know, kind of probably a little bit justifiably, I suppose. But uh, I, I think he legitimately feared that he was going to be booed when they announced him. Wow. I'm like, really? Because I think you talk to most people who follow Nebraska sports. I mean, at least for the people who followed the sports back late 80s through the mid, late 90s, I, I mean, at least for myself as a guy that, I mean, remove the football side of it, the fact that I played sports at Nebraska. I'm a guy who grew up in Lincoln, and so that's always my team. I mean, I bitch and moan constantly about the whole, like the whole J-Skirt thing, like drives me nuts. It's like, 
you're either a Nebraska guy or you're a Creighton guy. If you're a Nebraska football fan, you ought to be a Nebraska basketball fan. It's just my mindset. But, but I mean, I get it. But and there I, was a point in time when Nebraska got so bad and Creighton got so good that people wanted just well, to watch no, a winner. And I appreciate Creighton basketball, and I think it's fine to be a, a fan of Creighton basketball. But anyway, my, my point, I guess, of all of this is, is that I think about like, he's arguably the best Nebraska's ever had. Yes, I would agree with that. And I think most most college basketball fans in Nebraska appreciate that. I think I think that happens with Frank Solich. I mean, people when Frank got fired, you had a lot of people who were like, "It was time. He was never the right guy." Man, I don't know. I because I heard a lot of stuff at that time about Frank that was kind of this. Fuck, I don't know if this is the right thing to do. This is not a good idea. The, the problem with plateauing, which I think maybe Danny did at the time. I mean, you hadn't. They still haven't won a tournament game. It's like, have you hit your ceiling, right? And sometimes you just go, right. maybe it's time for a change. He's he said that actually. That may, I think my biggest mistake was I stayed too long, and and I think he had an opportunity to go when I was a junior and didn't take it. And you know, maybe maybe that is right, but hindsight is always twenty twenty. So it's it's really kind of hard to say. But that's reflecting back that's what he said is I think maybe I stayed too long. So you guys come off the the tournament win. You're you're at an all-time high. What what seed were you in the NCAA tournament? 6. 6 seed. What was in that tell you that uh that was 611 is that what it is? Yep. yep. I mean that's the that's still the danger point to be. Yep. Were you guys just emotionally drained after that or, or what do you think it was? <laughs> I think it was a little bit of that. I think um we had we had shot the ball really well in Kansas City. We did not shoot the ball really well in uh, Long Island. Uh, it was at the Nassau College. Yep. was where we played. And uh, unbeknownst to us, you know, Pennsylvania, a lot of visit Wharton, the business college at yep. Pennsylvania. A lot of Wharton grads happen to work on Wall Street, which just happens to be a little bit across the uh, the bridge from from Nassau Coliseum. So it was basically a home game for Penn. Uh, so there was, I don't know, 17,500 or whatever, Nassau. I don't know if that's right. I'm just throwing that out there. If it was 17,500, 16,000 of them were rooting for Penn. And you get that anyway because of the underdog thing, but also because, you know, a lot of the people who are connected to Penn worked in New York City, so in Manhattan most likely. So you had a huge, like, it was basically a home game for them, which – well that's, well, that's like the NIT game against St. Joe's. It's same, right. same dynamic. Right. It's the same Philly. kind of thing. You got a whole bunch of Philly folks yeah. pouring up into three hours away. Right? Yeah, Madison Square Garden. <clears throat> it, it that was a that was a home. I like in hindsight, thinking about it, I'm surprised Nebraska was able to pull that one out just because it was a hostile crowd. It's all Philly fans, St. Joe's fans that were there in the garden at the time. I mean, my wife and I felt like we were like. Two of 17 Husker fans in the right. building. I mean, there was actually a pretty nice contingent, but it was three-quarter St. Joe's fans who were there. And I mean, so, yeah, I can totally see that. Yeah. You get the pen, pen crowd up there coming in, and that had to have been a brutal crowd to play in front of. And the disappointing thing for me was their biggest guy's 6'5". And I'm like, don't you don't have to post me up. Post somebody up though. They're little. Let's let's go inside. We're shooting threes. I think we finished the game two for twenty three from the three point line. Oh. And I'm like, maybe we need to 
go inside the ark and try to find a shot. I don't know. You know, just just saying. But it, I don't know. We couldn't get out of our own way. Uh, they had two guys who actually ended up on NBA roster and on that team. Matt Maloney was with the Rockets for uh, three or four years, I think, and Jerome Allen played for uh, Minnesota Timberwolves yeah. for a while. So, I mean, it wasn't like they didn't have some guys who could play. I think they had also beaten Ohio State either on the road or at a neutral site earlier that year. So we knew they could play. Wow. That, I mean, I yeah, I, I remember that. It's just uh, – it, it's crazy how – because it, it's still – there's been so many good Nebraska teams that should have won in the NCAA tournament and just have not won. Right. How many times did you play? You said you played four tournaments? Yeah. And never won? <laughs> never won. What, which one was the hardest one? That one to no, lose? No. When we were three seed, my freshman Is that year. Xavier? Yeah. Oh. We were three seed. We, you know – and I, I don't know how many people know this. I don't know if NCA does it the same way. But it used to be if you went to Minneapolis, the the highest seat is going to get the best hotel. The next highest seat is going to get the next best hotel and so on and so forth. So this place they put us up at was like a, connected to a shopping center. And the I'm like looking over downtown Minneapolis from Bo. Bo and I roomed together that trip. And I'm going – man, I don't want to leave here. We need to win this game. We need to stay around. This is fun. And we just, we just did not have a good game. I don't, and I didn't even see the floor of that game. So did Danny coach different in the NCAA tournament? I mean, or, or was it, I mean, cause some people it's like, it's a different game. You know, yeah. it's one and done, man. Did he, did he change when he would got to the Football NCAA coaches tournament? do it in bowl games? Yeah. I, I, they'll change the style up. He probably would not agree with what I'm about to say, but I felt always, and this was not like, it wasn't an outward thing. I always felt like he was a little tense in the tournament. And that's something as a, as a coach now myself, I try to be cognizant of that, that like if I'm feeling uptight, I at least got to project that I'm, I'm calm and cool because it, go, it filters over to your guys. If you're uptight, you're on edge. It's really hard not to pass that along 100%. to your team. I think Bo Pelini is a good example of that. When he'd melt down... I mean, even though he won nine, ten games Tom a year. Tom Osborne's a great example yes. of that. Yes. You never saw him melt down. His teams rarely had meltdowns. Right. You, like, I mean, Nebraska would lose a game 45-21 to 21 under Osborne, and that was considered an absolutely brutal blowout. Right. You lose by two or three touchdowns in that era. That was, that was yeah. getting destroyed. So you did think he coached different. I did. I just – I think maybe just the hunger to win that first game was a lot to take on. I don't, I don't know. Like I remember we played uh, New Mexico state in, in Syracuse and they got like two feet of snow before we get there. So, and you walk in and it's the dome and everybody else makes that. Oh, the dome, it's hard to shoot in the dome. There's no background, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, it's a basket in an arena figured out, you know? Minneapolis, when we went up there and played at the Metrodome, I thought, like, it's like the the Hoosier thing where we're measuring the basket, yeah. measuring the free throw line. I'm like, it's basketball. Just play. Figure it out. It is, it is different. I mean, the background's different, but it's an, that's an excuse. It's an excuse. But I remember before that game in Syracuse, he went around the table and said, who, who, are, you, who are you playing the game for? Like, we all had to tell – who were we'd never done that before. little kumbaya moment right and i'm like you know like for us for for my for my family for my you know whatever but that's like 
it's the same every game, whether we verbalize it or not, it's the same every game. And I know, I mean, you know, like I said before, I grew up, I grew up wanting to play for Iowa, but the name across the chest, like when I was out there representing, I was representing for the universe, for my teammates, for the university, for the state. And, you know, the people, people were great to me while I was there. Loved playing at Nebraska. Don't regret the decision one day. Haven't since. Where, where, did you have any other offers? I did. I had Wisconsin had offered me, but Wisconsin then is not Wisconsin. No. There was no Cole Center. It was uh, an old field house from 1920 or something and it hadn't been updated. And, you know, and you go in and Devaney, that's like PBA is amazing. But Devaney was nice. When they built PBA, I'm like, what's what's wrong with Devaney? Devaney's still At still the time, it me. was great. Yeah, I loved it. I thought it was a great arena. Any smaller schools? Yeah, St. Louis University had recruited me, which backstory there was a guy from Atkinson actually had been a big, uh, like a stud. It's Ed Scott was his name. Okay. Had been a big stud at uh, St. Louis, and I think he played a part in them recruiting me. But I canceled that visit because Jordan came to town the day I went to visit Nebraska. Oh, hold on, really? <laughs> oh, so that they did they play an NBA game there? Yeah. So, yeah. so your visit was when the Bulls played at Devaney Center. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So, screw that. So I'm going to see Jordan play. Yeah. So, and after the game, Clifford Scales, huge. Like he, yep. he emulated, he walked like Jordan. He talked like Jordan. Had the head shaved like Jordan. Had, had his head shaved like Jordan. Didn't, didn't, didn't jump like Jordan. He was, Cliff was a good player, but he wasn't, you know. When I was in high, high school, that was my favorite basketball player at Nebraska was Clifford. He, he was, he was damn good. Yeah. So did they bring MJ in to meet you guys? So that, that was my story is we we're, MJ's trying to get out of there with nobody seeing him, which Obviously, he would because he's getting hounded everywhere he goes, I'm sure. Uh, but Cliff is waiting with Polaroid. He's like, I think it was a Polaroid. Anyway, he goes, he goes, Mike, Mike calls him Mike. Mike, can we get a picture? And he goes, yeah, sure, fellas, just make it quick. Let's go. So there's somewhere there's a picture that I'm in with Michael Jordan, <laughs> but I, I've never seen the goddamn thing. Because Clint, <laughs> Clifford Cl scrapbook. Cl Clifford never showed it to any of us. So and, and he probably cut everybody else out, and it's just him and Mike now. But uh, <laughs> anyway, really, really funny, yeah. And and like people say, oh, you you've met him. I'm like, well, I didn't really meet him. I took a picture with him, but we didn't shake hands or whatever. But they're like, how tall is he? I go, good two inches shorter than me. Really? Oh, yeah. 6'5", because yeah. you're 6'7", right? Yeah. Just think, in today's world, to be like, hey, t text me that photo so I have it. You right, know? right. Now, Cliff's got the only the only version of that photo because it's back on film. Oh, you know it's in a shrine in his house. It's like got lights on it, and there's an <laughs> angel wings and everything case. else. Yeah, oh, God, yeah. You know, he can scan that now, and we can get that made for you. Right, yeah. well... I haven't talked to him in, Jesus, 30-something years. I haven't spoken with him in a long time. And again, one of those things, not that I don't want to. If I saw him, I'd love to talk to him, but I just, we don't, our paths don't cross. Because you don't find that, I mean, do you still, talk, I mean, the pipeline still talks all, I mean, you don't talk to everybody on your team, but you, no, your but unit talks a lot. God, we talk, there's a lot of guys I keep in pretty good touch with. Um I mean, God, we see a well. Part of it is too is I mean, football teams are big. 
It's a lot of guys. Yeah. Right. I mean, just statistically, you see a lot of those guys more often. But, I mean, there's a good handful of those guys that I see pretty frequently and uh, keep in touch with regularly. I mean, technology's been great. I mean, there's a couple of text threads we got where it's, I mean, the pipeline, Corey Schlesinger, we're all on it. It's just anytime something comes up, if we're watching a football game, holy shit, did you see what the hell that guy did? Yeah, I would have kicked that guy's ass. I mean, just, right, right. I mean, stuff like that, and I mean, just stupid banner. But I mean, but that's just, but that's a numbers thing. Which actually, one of the questions I wanted to ask you—it's sort of a, a basketball versus football social dynamic question. Okay. Every team has personalities. I, I mean, Zach Wiegert had a personality. Sty's got a personality. Graham's got a personality. Kevin Raymakers has a personality. I mean, there's lots of different personalities. When you got 150 guys on a football team, I don't know if dilute, diluting the personalities is the right way to phrase it, but I mean, it, it sort of tempers things and smooths things out. How many guys are on a college basketball team? Back then, what was it? 15, maybe? And I think well, that include got, walk-ons. I think yeah. you had 12 scholarship and three walk-ons, yeah. probably. So you got 15 or so guys. Right. I, I mean, how did that affect things? I mean, because you've got to have a few personalities that are obviously going to be way stronger than the others. Yeah, I mean, you have, you, like I'm sure it was with you, you have guys that are a little bit quieter, that kind of play the back the background. They they do, they show up. Well, Cliff was like that. Cliff was very much to himself. They're, not that he didn't hang out with anybody, but he didn't he didn't go out a lot. He was spent a lot of time hanging out in his room. And guys, there were guys that got to know him pretty well, but I didn't. He's a little older than me. So that's just an example of a guy who's a little more quiet. Now, Rich King was... Little more boisterous. I've hung out a lot more with him, and we had a liking of the same type of girl. I guess I don't know. So our paths crossed more than I would have probably enjoyed what they did. But anyway, anyway, that's a that's a whole other story, long lifetime ago. But yeah, I mean, it's and Bo had a strong personality and does still. But it's I don't know. You kind of if you have. 15 type A's or whatever you want to say, it's a, it's a mess, but it usually doesn't work out like that. You have two or three that kind of emerges the, the guys that are the ringleaders or whatever you want to say. And, and everybody else, if you don't follow, you're off doing your own thing. And I kind of, um, I kind of had probably, I would say a little bit of a healthy mix of both. Now, like to your point, Jerron, glue, glue guys. Yeah. Jerron Boone and I talk a lot via, uh, Facebook I talk a lot through text and phone with Badgett. He and I stay in pretty good contact. Terrence. Yeah. And he like broke our hearts Ter in high Terrence school. Terrence good dude. He's a yeah, good he's dude. Really I good always, I, dude, I got along great with Terrence in college. It always drove me nuts because South knocked East out of the playoffs when I was in high school. And it was just one of these like, like, what are we going to do? And I didn't play basketball, but I was a big fan. And all my buddies on the football team who did play basketball, it was just, they were like, what are we going to do about this badget guy? It's uh, like, good was, God. He was a hell of a good high school basketball player and a good good college one, yeah. too. But that's, uh, yeah, he <clears throat> good good guy. And we played a lot of old man league together. That's kind of what I miss with that is just not seeing my guys every weekend. 
uh, nine and a half toed Luke that calls in all the time to TNT yeah. is, was a friend of mine okay. that obviously Terrence and all, all like they, they went through high school together. So I'm, I'm talking to him one day and he goes, I, I don't know how it came up, but I mentioned the show and he goes, well, you know, I'm, I'm nine and a half toed Luke, right? You know, I'm that Luke. And I go, your name's Lawrence. And he goes, yeah, but that's not <laughs> that's not what they call me when I call in. And you're referring to Todd and Tyler Radio Empire, who I was on that show for God, 17 years. Right. But yeah, that man, that's uh, so. You, you brought something up. I'm going to get in some doctor shit here because I think you'll appreciate the story. You went from Council Bluffs to Montana to West Holt. Tell you tell us about a your second. Bro- Atkinson or West Holt. It's it's one in the same. Is so it? Now now they just call it West Holt. When I was in high school, they called it At- – I mean, obviously, the school is in Atkinson. Okay. But it's West Holt because anybody from the west part, part of Holt County could come to the school. How gotcha. many people are in Holt County? <sighs> Good question. I would say, I don't know, probably – Hundred thousand. I don't know. I it's, so it's good no, probably probably not that big. Probably fifty thousand. Okay. Because you, it's a it's a big county though. You have O'Neill. You have Atkinson. You have Stewart. You have yeah. I'm looking, looking this that? up because now I want to know. Yeah, but you want to hear the story because I, 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 I might be full of crap. Well, no, because I'm a wrestling guy. Yeah. Like O'Neill wrestling. Yeah, I, I've got one of my Dude. one of my high school friends. His son wrestles for their. He's uh, John Alden. Yeah, really. Oh good. my God, Alden is so good. Yeah, he's, he's Dude, tough. I tweet about John Alden. You tweet about everybody all the time. You you are Mister Twitter. I do, but Alden's funnier than hell. Uh, I think he's going to go wrestle at Wyoming. He's that's a, right. Yep. He's a D one kid. Yeah. I mean, just a st- Alden is a stud wrestler. But it's funny because so it uh, I don't know. It, go find the tweet. Well, it, but, it's, but, but no, it's you're, you're going to want to hear the story. O'Neill wrestling doesn't mess around, and no. just I, it's one of these things. I'm sitting here going like. Okay, I know I know a bunch of folks up there. I want to know how many people are in Holt County. You tell me because I don't know. It's just it's a pure. It is a pure. <laughs> this is like just curiosity. You know, thing. we have a producer that can find that, so you don't have to do it on the phone as, as we tell the story. You know. That. Yeah, but I, I don't want to put this on Owen. He's got like T-shirts to make for me. <laughs> Bruce is like, what did I walk into? I didn't know this. This podcast Holt, is like Holt the- County as of twenty twenty one. Ten thousand forty nine. You were way off. I did. I did. You were way off. And probably most of them are in O'Neill, right? Samsonite. I was way off. (laughs) So, but uh, how did? So, tell the story of how you ended up in Montana. And I want you to get into your Montana life because that's uh, that's a different story too. But uh, Doc, I think you'll appreciate this. is This is an advocacy for your health, right? So, so, and this this story's been told a few times too. But uh, when I was growing up my my brother my little brother joe had a brain tumor about the time he turned two years old i think he had four brain surgeries before he turned three the last of which uh that's brutal yeah the last of which which uh, you know looking back i can't imagine how hard that was was it cancerous or not it was uh i don't think it was cancerous but it was not benign and like it was growing and it was gonna mess stuff up pretty bad you probably would be able to answer that a lot better than than me, but um, but anyway, the the pediatric surgeon at uh, Jenny Edmondson in Council Bluffs was like one of the most renowned pediatric surgeons in the in the nation. Um, had operated and told my my mom and dad that Joe wasn't going to make it; that they needed to 
my my mom is Catholic, and they said they needed to go get last rites and so on and so forth. So they they take me to Perkins Restaurant, and we're sitting down, and they're breaking me the news. And uh, I look at my dad, and I go, "What are you going to do now?" And he kind of looks like, "What do you mean? What am I going to do?" And like this, this we're telling you what's going on. And I said, "Well, I've never seen you give up at anything. What are you going to do?" And he goes, well, "I don't know." So <clears throat> they had heard about Mayo Clinic. Tried to get the doctor in Counts Bluffs to refer to Mayo so that they could take Joe up and see, you know, as a as a last ditch effort kind of a thing. The doctor told my folks that uh, if if he couldn't do anything for them, Mayo couldn't either. And so my dad, in a move of desperation, calls Mayo Clinic as Doctor Chubbuck. Gets the, I love take it. notes at home. I'm serious. Take notes at I home if you're listening. No, this is real. advocacy. So he gets the the pediatric surgeon at Mayo on the line, Doctor Groover, and says, Doc. First of all, let me apologize. I'm not a doctor. I am desperate. I don't know what else to do. My doctor won't refer me. My son is sick. We need help, and we're not getting any from our doctor. And he says, well, hell, man, you got me on the line now. Tell me about your son. Let's talk. So my dad proceeds to lay Which I love. That's yeah. awesome. That's what a doctor should do. He's a great guy. I think he was uh, like a Texan. He had a nice drawl and, and all that stuff. But... Uh, so my dad tells him the story. He says, all right, when I hang up, you're going to be connected with my, my assistant. She's going to line you up. Let's get your boy up here. Let's see what we can do. So not to make it too simple, but they take him to Mayo, operate on him. You know, he's still got some lasting stuff from, from the damage that the, the tumor did, but he's alive. And he's, Today. Yeah, he's 45 years old. See, you should always advocate for yourself, right? You don't. That's don't, you a know, great story. It is a great story. Does he live in Council Bluffs, or he lives? He lives with my folks. Okay, he's actually forty six. I, I I gave him one year back, so he's forty. He's forty six. <laughs> I didn't do the math. I was I was. Uh, it's just he's seven years younger than me, so I'm trying to make myself a year younger. I think is, <laughs> is the real story there, but no. So my dad, uh, after after that whole experience, he had to take some unpaid days when he was coaching uh, coaching and teaching at Tech High, and I think he got kind of burned out with the whole story. Had dreamt of, of living off the land somewhere with mountains. So we buy a plot of land in Montana and move up there and have no running water nor electricity for two years. So it's basically, if I don't know if you've ever seen Mountain Family Robinson show, it, we were them. We were them. And you you said you dug the well? I dug the well, yeah. My dad, that was, uh, it was a work work project. So <laughs> What he, were you living in? We were living in a uh, trailer, like a single wide with a uh, log cabin room attached, like a, I don't know, probably 400, 450 square foot room attached. So got a little, got a little cramped, but uh, you know, you're living in 20 acres in Montana on the Continental Divide. So you go outside and you know, wow! Shoot rabbits or something. So, literally living off the grant, the land. Yeah, we like we did not buy meat. We hunted, and uh, you know, obviously went to the store for you know corn and uh, everything, everything else that you were eating. But the meat we we hunted. So you're a freshman at this time? No, that would have been 
right before I started seventh grade. Okay. Were you ever like, Dad, what the hell are we doing? Oh, yeah. Lots of times. And my, my dad, uh, yeah, there were, there were times when I wasn't too nuts about it. But one of the first things we did was we cut down a, a tree, took the bark off the tree, put a hoop up, and you know, I shot every day. I, du- I dug the snow off of the ground so that I could go shoot. God, so when you tell your kids, say, I, I, I walk seven miles barefoot in the snow. Pretty- I, really, I really mean it. Yeah. No, that's it. Uh, well, actually, I'm sitting over here going, like, okay, if like civilization collapses, you want to be with Bruce? Bruce knows how to handle this shit. <laughs> no, no, I'm, I'm finding Bruce and Bruce Jr. and, and like knowing they, they Do your know, kids believe they you, know when, you when you tell these shit. stories? Well, my I don't even know if my own kids know all the story. Really? It's just we just don't tell it that much. How I mean, come? I I don't know. Just are you embarrassed by it? No, dude. I, mean, I think that's like freaking if, awesome. If people ask, I share the information. I just don't usually lead with that. You know what I mean? See, I think this is like. 90% of dude's pipe dream right there. Living off the grid? Yeah. How are you going to survive? Hunting, fishing. Wow. And you, you had goats and milk and all that stuff, right? Yep. We we had goats. Now, they didn't have their kids until after I, I, I had to leave because I drove a motorcycle to school every day. <laughs> Uh, this is awesome. Bus stop was seven miles from, we lived literally on the continental divide, like 400 meters from where the actual device, 6,800 feet elevation. I had to ride a motorcycle seven miles down the mountain to get the bus stop. And well, that's just to get to the bus stop, to get to the bus stop, to hop on and go like 20 miles into school. And, uh, it got to a point where, what, what was the closest town? Closest town would have been Warm Springs, Montana, okay. which was probably that's it's small. It's I don't it's incorporated, but barely like five hundred. Okay, people. it's kind of triangulated between Deer Lodge, Anaconda, and Butte. Okay, I mean I know where Butte's at. I went to school in Butte. Okay, and then I mean I think if you know Montana, everybody they know Missoula, Butte, and then Helena, Billings, Helena, and Billings. Billings. My uh. One of our tight ends, uh, Mark Gilman, he yeah. was from Kalispell. Okay, yeah. I didn't know that. So, yeah, he was a Kalispell kid. What's the most snow you ever saw? Oh, my God. So when you see school getting canceled today at like six inches of snow, you're like... I'm they, like get canceled. So they get canceled at a forecast I'm of like, snow. I'm like, I, I drove the motorcycle in deeper than this. You know? <laughs> Which, by the, by the way, I need to. I got to interrupt the podcast here. You going to go take a pee? No. Hey, Owen. Would you be willing to grab us a couple of beers? Your dad's empty. Any per, any particular ones? Liquid. Okay, gotcha. <laughs> and a and a coffee for Bruce. Yeah, Bruce wants a coffee. He needs another yes. coffee. Yeah. Yes. Um, you remember what kind of motorcycle you had? Yeah, it was a Honda ninety, little little uh, trail bike. Damn. Yeah. So, I think the top speed was. 40 but when you were in seventh grade yeah this is awesome okay was it more normal than people think up there or were you even kind of like out of the norm in montana doing this stuff oh we were out of the norm in Montana. people looked at us like we were crazy and looking back i'm like yeah i kind of get that that kind of makes sense (laughs) why you'd look at us yeah but i mean it's one of these things it's like when you're you're in seventh grade and you're riding a motorcycle seven miles Every day, to and from 
the bus stop. That's just to get to the place where the bus picks you up. That's Correct. not even on the bus. Correct. And then coming home up the mountain, and that's what I was telling Travis earlier, my dad started to get concerned that there might be a bear that I'd encounter at some point because, you know, I'm out after dark and whatever. And so it's like... Looking back, do you think your your brother's surgery and everything was just so traumatic that that was just part? That was just, a piece. Yeah, yeah, that was a big piece. If I'm being honest, I think that's that that was kind of the that was the dagger. Like that was a, a dream of my dad's, but I think that's what inspired him to actually go ahead. I and love do you. It. About that break, could I <laughs> could I take the break? You want to take a break? Yeah, I need a break. So okay, so we're gonna pause the podcast for just real quickly. We're gonna take a commercial break. Now's a good time to get the sponsors in. So go ahead. There you you go. just walk around the cameras, and then uh, Owen, if you want to show them where the. Uh, the pisser is downstairs. That'd be great. Um, but don't forget, uh, of course, the Doc Talk podcast is presented by Betfred Sports. Download the Betfred Sports app today if uh, Betfred is uh, legal where you do uh, your gambling because online gambling is the best way to go. Um, they make uh, betting on sports super easy. Betfred's new app makes it super simple to place your bet and even offers uh, protection like bad beat bonuses. Uh, you can get in on college basketball, NBA, NHL, MMA, motorsports, and more. Download the Betfred Sports app today on the Apple and Google Play stores. Uh, visit our good buddy Connor Orr. There's some changes coming with Connor, uh, and he's going to be on the podcast, Talk NIL, probably sometime in February. Uh, but Connor Orr uh, is a good friend of the show. He's a, he's a lawyer. He's a sports agent, and he focuses on corporate and personal injury litigation in both Nebraska and Iowa, and, can, and he can work with your business planning, estate planning, and real estate transactions. So call Connor today at 402-408-6488. How about our good buddies down at uh, Husker Hounds? Two locations in the Omaha area. Of course, the big superstore over there on 84th and Center. Uh, Scotty's Trunk has uh, got so much gear for you. I know the spring uh, apparel is starting to arrive and uh, you can get in on uh, all the and great... And he will get you anything. Anything you want. want. If you go in and say, hey, I have this idea, you don't have it. If he doesn't have it in the Superstore, I'd be really surprised because that dude has so much stuff. He gets organ gear for Joel Wilkes. Yes. Because yeah. his kids are organ fans, yeah. but that's okay. And he gets you whatever you want, right? He can find it. Yeah, which I am not the easiest guy to fit because I'm not exactly small. No, you're not. You're no. you're a big. No, dude. but he does carry. He carries big sizes. But I mean, he carries Creighton gear. He'll get you all of your. I mean, again, we bitch and moan about Iowa and Iowa State all the time. I don't think he'll get me Iowa gear. I think he. I think he's drawn the the line there. He'll get Iowa gear if you need Iowa gear. He will order you anything you need. So if you got uh, a different fan in your family, you can uh, you can take advantage of that. Just go to huskerhounds.com. Or uh, go to the Superstore at 84th and Center. And of course, they're also out on, uh, what, 171st in Lakeside Hills Plaza. And our good friends at uh, Centris Federal Credit Union, uh, 128,000 members strong. They have 15 locations in Nebraska and Iowa. And 2024 is their 90th year serving members and, uh, and their banking needs. So find out more at centrisfcu.org. Of course, when you get a loan, a car, a refinance, or a mortgage, they are federally insured by NC. UA. What are you drinking now? I got a little, uh, well, this is from the, uh, like the German beer collection you had. Mm -hmm. It's a Schwartz tint. It's a collab stout. It says really. Yeah. Nice looking stout though. It's, uh, 
This might be like the lightest stout I've ever had in my life. A light stout. A light stout. I didn't stout. know there was such a thing as a light stout. Very well, smooth. How's that? It's okay, a, it's smooth. a very smooth very, stout. Very, very smooth stout. Okay. So, All right, Bruce is back. I am nice. Back. You okay, peak, well you he's back. Quick. You guys you oh. guys talk about something. I'm gonna go I'm gonna go full Bruce here. I'll be back. <laughs> Well, dude, if, if Chubbuck can do it, I can do it I know. Too. I'm, I'm totally down with that. You're going to miss a good part of the story, but that's fine. You go ahead and pee. We're, we're going back to the motorcycle. We're going back to, to, oh, to Montana. Me, okay, I'll be back. See, this is what happens. And guess what I'm going to do? You're going to walk around the camera. So yeah, I'm going to walk look, right in front of the camera. No, don't walk in front of the camera. Look at you. I got a broken ankle. Man. Oh, we'll get to that in a little bit. We'll get to the back. Yeah, we got to hear that story. Oh, I know. I, I have no idea how he broke his ankle, but he's hobbling like an old man. He looks like he looks like an old man. Have you ever broken a bone? Yeah, a couple times. <clears throat> Foot, twice. Really? At Nebraska, yeah. Wow. Yeah. Fifth left metatarsal. So you leave Montana. You, you'd been living off the grid. Your mom and dad probably, or your dad probably comes to terms with everything. Is, does he miss coaching at that point? I think he did a little bit at that point. He had been, he had coached at Tech, coached um, sophomores when he first, because he, he came straight out of graduating from, he graduated from Briar Cliff College. Okay. Got the, the job with, with Tech uh, right away. Uh, coached with Gene Haynes, who. Oh, yeah. Later became uh, a principal, principal at, North. at North and great, great guy. Um, anyway, uh, it coached sophomores for Coach Haynes, and then the girls' job came open. So he had the head girls' job for a while, too. Um, and then after the thing with Joe and we moved to Montana, I think, yeah, I think the hunger kind of came back and he missed it a little bit. And <clears throat> the practicality of living up there kind of set in like, yeah, this. This was good, but we probably can't do this long term. You know, if he would have held on to the land, you guys would be holding like a million bucks worth of land uh, right now. Probably. <laughs> it was, uh, I tell you what, we, my dog, which was quarter, quarter timber wolf, quarter German shepherd, quarter husky, quarter Malamute. So she was, she was a mix of a lot of interesting, uh, different breeds, but she and I were, that was my, my, buddy so when i would leave the house she always would follow with there was a place up on a ridge just above where our property was that you could go out and look over the entire valley and you could see three towns at the same time and the the view was amazing have you ever been back or not no and your your wife asked me about that i would love to go back because that if if for no other reason than to see that view one more time that it was amazing there was a mountain uh, I think Mount Powell directly across. You could see all three towns below Anaconda, uh, Deer Lodge, Warm Springs. You could see them all three <laughs> at the same time. And the dog and I would just go up and walk, you know. And she, she of course, loved it. She's diving in the snow and rolling around and all that stuff. You know, a lot of kids would have either be bitter or resentful. You, you seem to have a pretty good fond memory of it. No, I think it brought my family closer. So, I mean, for that reason, how could I not look at it fondly? That, the the no power and the no running water thing, maybe not quite as much there. Um, so that, how did you take a shit? <clears throat> well, <laughs> serious. Yeah. If you had no running water, how did you take a shit? Outhouse. No kidding. Yeah. Wow. And I told you we had a 50. That's a bitch in the wind. We had a 55 below straight temperature, not wind chill, 55 below. Because you're up 6,800 feet. Right. So so that, when you had to go to the outhouse those days. Wow. Yeah. 
Not good. So, quick. So you end, up quick. In, you end up in Atkinson. This was in your freshman year, sophomore year? When, when it would have been right before my eighth grade. Right before your eighth grade yeah. year. Were you accepted in Atkinson? How tall were you now? And uh, were you accepted pretty, pretty readily there? I, I made some friends pretty quickly there. Um, I would say overall, there was kind of that feeling like, you ain't from here, son. But, you know, it, it, it as the years have passed, I think part of that was probably just me, how I perceived it as a young, young man. A lot of good people, a lot of good people that, well, let me give you a good example. I'm a big hip hop music fan, have been. Really? Yeah, since I was, since I discovered it or it was introduced to me, I guess is a better way of saying it, when I was, what, eighth grade. And something about hip hop music and basketball it was like peanut butter and jelly. I mean, they go together for whatever reason. I don't, I can't really, I don't know if it's the rhythm of the music, rhythm of the basketball, whatever it is. But the, to me, they're like, what's the word? Intrinsically yeah. linked. Like there's not, there's not separation for me with that. So imagine, um, you know, I'm in really serious country music territory and I'm listening to, you know, jam on it by nucleus and people are going jam on it. Well, yeah, exactly. Jam on you know, it. It, you know, it. <laughs> and people are going, what the fuck is wrong with this guy? <laughs> so I'm getting, getting told, you know, you, you need to act your own race. I'm like, what has that got to do with anything? You know, it's, it's music, you know? And, if I gotta act like you, maybe I maybe I don't want to. <laughs> so it, it's a uh, you know it it was a it was a learning experience and uh, like I said, I have some really really good friends that actually uh, my classmates, three of my classmates, two of my classmates last week came into town and came to oh, watch cool. us play against Gretna East. Have remained really good friends with them basically my whole life. And wouldn't trade them for anybody, and I would have never met him if I hadn't been there. Yeah. So it's—I mean, it wasn't—it wasn't all bad either. It just was like now it would be no big deal because everybody up there, their kids are also—they—they—they're yeah. <laughs> listening to their little Uzi Vert or whatever we listen to now, uh, which I don't. The, the hip hop now, I'm a little disappointed with. It's not like when I was—you know—you sound like an old guy when you say that, but it's not Nas, it's not Wu Tang <laughs> Clan, it's not. <laughs> Oh man. So did you, now you're coaching. So you're the head coach at central. You were an assistant a long time for your dad at South and, and, and was he, were you an assistant anywhere else? No, I was just, I've only been assistant for did, him. Did, did you always want to coach? You know, I kind of, so I, I told my dad, I used to work basketball camp for him in the summer when he was at Sydney and uh, he had a great camp. Like all the, I've had so many kids after that are now adults that come up and go, God, that camp was so fun. We had so much fun at that camp. He would invite all the towns from around Sydney to come in. So we had kids from Villisca, Stanton, Fremont Mills, Shenandoah, all over. And yeah. they would come in. It was like kind of like an all-star camp of Southwest Iowa kids. And I had so much fun working those camps. I'm like, man, this is the only thing that's as much fun as playing, you know, to see – a kid that's maybe you're working with them on trying to get this one skill down and then that light clicks on and they, their face lights up and that's, that's why you do it. You know, that's, that's what it's about. It's more of that than wins and losses are nice. Well, losses aren't nice. Wins are, wins are nice. But I think that is kind of what motivates every good coach is seeing a kid be able to achieve. 
It, it's funny because I mean Tom Osborne talks about it. Kirk Ferentz talks about it. it's the relationships that happen. It's not. It's not the wins. I mean, winning's the byproduct of it. But more, I all the great coaches that I talk to talk about the relationships they have. I mean, you you still oh, hundred percent. Yeah. Which I mean, I like the best coaches that I played for. They're the guys who. You know, the wins and losses are impactful. They really are. Yeah. God, the best coaches are the coaches that, I mean, he can somehow kind of work past that. And and it's about that, kind of what you talked about, where you're working on a specific skill, that leg goes on, and it's like, oh, my God, I just changed this kid in terms of how they're going to play this sport, and that makes a difference. And that was the thing that I think Osborne always kind of pushed. I mean, I think – Osborne got interviewed right after he won the first national title, which was my senior year. And kind of they focused, the focus of the interview was on losing in the national title game the year before. And it was kind of the question about how you win that national title. How does that change things? And Osborne's response was, he goes, you know, he goes, it's nice. He goes, it's nice having the title. It's nice knowing there's kind of this level of achievement that you've gotten to, but that's not the point of it. It's like, that's not why you're out there coaching. You're trying to change how these people view approaching challenges. You're trying to change how these people look at problems, problem solve, get through a specific situation and how you can take those lessons and apply them to the rest of your life. And if you do that as a coach, hey, that's the greatest thing you've yeah. ever done. I mean, I, I one of the things that was interesting for me is I think back to, so, so I had, uh, so I went to Lincoln East. Lincoln East still only has two head football coaches in history. This is new, quote unquote, newer school. They opened in, I'm going to say 67, 68. So late, late 1960s, Lee Zenit got hired, former Husker, was a all-conference D tackle for Nebraska back in the late 50s. Uh, he was, I think, a, a, a Bill Jennings guy who then got fired and got replaced by Devaney after the 61 season. Um, but so Lee had like one or two great games that they played in, I mean, in terms of what Nebraska was able to accomplish. But he comes he comes back to Nebraska, coaches at Lincoln East. One of the guys that Lee coached was John Gingery. John graduated from Lincoln East in the mid-1970s, came back about 15, well, about 10 years later, mid-late 1980s, as the sophomore coach at Lincoln East, was the D coordinator on varsity, became the head varsity coach early 90s. He's been the head coach there ever since. I didn't realize that. That's yeah. amazing. Yeah, wow. he's the on, only the second wow. head football coach in school history. That's crazy. So... I, I had a conversation with John, um, and he and I were really close friends. He was one of those guys who was really influential in terms of how I approach sports, preparation, training, and kind of some just how that applied to life lessons in general. And as we were talking, because they had a player who had a severe closed head injury in a game, 
and it was one of the first things that ever kind of changed how people approach the management of closed head injuries in sports, having medical medical personnel available at, at sporting events, things like that. Um, it was a very traumatic experience. This was, I'm trying to date it. I can't remember late 2000s, early 20 teens, maybe, um, when this happened. And I remember like that season, the next season, there was still kind of a lot of carryover dealing the trauma of this kid's head injury and win loss record wise. It was not the greatest. And John would even tell you, he's like, hey, it was like in terms of win-loss record, it was probably some of the worst teams that John's coached. Right. John also said it was arguably, might, he said it might have been his best coaching he's ever done in his entire life. He said in terms of dealing with the trauma of having this player who went through this severe head injury, the emotional impact that it had on the team, the parents, the fans, he said trying to deal with that from a coaching standpoint, he, he said to this day, he goes, that, that, that's probably the best coaching job I've ever done in my life. And most memorable, obviously. Most memorable. And he said, worst record I've ever had. He, he goes, I coached my ass off that year. He goes, I could have not he goes, I've never coached better than I did hmm. that couple of years. And he said it's probably the two worst win loss records I've ever had in my career. But You're, it's but it's those impacts that you have. Right. And sometimes it's these moments at a at a summer camp. Yeah. You played for your dad. You coached with your dad. Is your dad your biggest influence on your life? Oh, I think probably, he took you to Montana. Yeah, and <laughs> I, would think, I would think hands down. Um, and it's it's interesting because I think that's kind of the dynamic with a lot of, especially fathers and sons. Is you know you're growing up. You're, God, he's hard. What's what's the deal? You know, give me a break here, man. You get to be twenty. Well, isn't that that's Mark Twain, right? When he was a, a teenager or a young man, yeah. couldn't believe how stupid his old man was, and he grew up and was couldn't 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 figure out how he, the old boy learned so much. You know, <laughs> it's kind of one of those things yeah. where you get to be twenty five years old and you go, okay, now I get it. Now it's starting to, especially when you have your own kids, you're like, okay, that's coming into focus now. And we've, you know, not that I didn't have a good, I always had a good relationship with my dad, but as uh, as I've you know, grown into a, to manhood, I guess we've become good friends. So he's probably one of my best friends in my life, which is, you know, I didn't, didn't know <laughs> when I was 17 yeah. years old, if I was going to be saying that, but at 53, I can tell you a hundred percent, he's one of the best friends that, that I have. A lot of people may not remember you played what, uh, eight, nine years overseas professionally. Yeah. I played, um, well, seven years overseas with a year with the racers mixed in between. So I was five years in Belgium, uh, one in Portugal, one in Israel, and then one in between with the racers. What was your favorite country to play in? Favorite country would be Belgium. Favorite city was Lisbon. Lisbon was in Portugal. It was amazing. Um, that's if it doesn't get a lot of attention from people here. But if my brother ever, retired there. Oh, it's, it's he awesome. lives he lives outside of Lisbon right now. So he's been there for two or three years. Oh, it's. It's really nice. That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, 55, never been, uh, almost 60 now, I guess, but never been married, no kids. 
Worked for ExxonMobil, took the early retirement, and moved to Portugal. And that's the, the living is good. You got good seafood. Lisbon is it's kind of a copycat city. And what I mean by that, they've got they've got a replica of the Golden Gate Bridge that's really cool. Looks just like the Golden Gate Bridge. They also have a copy of the Christ the Redeemer statue yeah. from Rio okay. that's up on one of the hills. And there's a river that runs through. So it, it, the city reminds me of San Francisco probably a lot because of the bridge, but also just the way it's set up, you know, it's hilly. It's, you know, it, it's really cool. To bring this full circle, uh, you, you guys were back for your reunion. These, these football players, they're, they're worshiped down there, right? Oh yeah. I, I mean, it's, it's all about football at Nebraska. Was it kind of, it, it is, it, it is, it is. Was it nice to get the adoration for a basketball team? Because you guys were the golden era, but Let's be honest, it's because it hasn't been successful and there's maybe not the demand. Was it nice to be a part of that? Yeah, and I I, I kind of I have mixed emotions with it because we, we did some good things. I, I think it's kind of like, you know, with me being at Central, Eric Barron's won seven out of eight championships. Is that ever going to be done again? I don't know. I know it hasn't. It's never been done anywhere that I know of before that. So to, to, to think somebody's going to come along and do it after ever is a long time, but probably not real likely in the class a thing. And, and, you know, you turn the page, you've got to go on to the new, but I think you can, you can kind of do both. You can embrace the past while you're still turning the page and kind of building for the new. And I think that's kind of, I just want to make sure that, that Fred gets his, his fair shake on this thing. He's had a little, little bit of bad luck, you know, COVID. COVID injuries and everything else. And I think this is the first year that you've seen him with a, a team that's basically been intact, healthy, without a pandemic. Athletic. They're the more athletic I've seen in a yeah. long time down there. And, and they're very together. Like they like each other. They play for each other, not just together, but for each other. And um, I think, you know, that's, that's kind of why you're seeing now people detractors are going to say, well, you need to go win on the road. Yeah, we do. We need to go win on the road, but not an easy league. No. Not an easy league. The Big Ten is, you know, maybe the teams at the top are not as strong as what they've been in some of the last several years, but the teams at the bottom, if you go look at the net rankings, the net rankings on the, the lowest Big Ten team, I think, are 124, 127, something like this. So there's no night off. You go on the road in the Big Ten and don't have your A game, you lose. Oh, yeah, yeah, no, no doubt about it. Knock on wood, Nebraska has like the easiest schedule they from do. here on out. It, so, is, it is pretty easy, yeah. Uh, maybe Fred will get that uh, that first tournament win. Uh, and I, I think I think Trev's done a really good job of giving him um, leeway, and he, he's he's secure for another year. I think he's got enough wins that there, there's enough confidence there. I would hope. I you know I I got a chance to talk to Trev when I was down there just briefly. He thanked me for coming. Like, you don't need to thank me. Thanks for having us down. It's cool. You know, it's just a great, great experience. I said, I really like the staff. I really like what they're doing. He goes, yeah, me too. And so I'm hoping that that means they get their opportunity, you know, and you got to cash in. You yes. Cash in. Um, but, I, you know, from a development standpoint, I've seen firsthand what they do with the guys. I know that the guys that, that they bring in, first of all, they're good when they bring them in, but they leave better than than what they came in as, at least the ones who buy in and do what they're being asked to do, do. I mean, Nate is, Nate Linzer was uh, the coach at uh, the, the Chicago um, 
what's the the D League? Okay. Chicago. Oh, the G League. Yeah, G League. Yeah. yeah. We've changed the names. So I know. Times, it, I can't keep. Yeah, track. yeah, I'm with you on that. The, the G, the G League. Yeah, he he had that team, so he knows he knows player development. Yeah, he's, he's been developing. And when Fred was at Chicago, he was working for Fred. He was developing Fred's guys at Chicago. So, if you're going, well, do these guys know anything? Yeah, they know a lot. They know plenty. Fred, uh, from an offensive standpoint, I, I think he's as good as anybody there is. So, and then Nate worked for uh, Eustachy, who's defensive guru yeah so you kind of have the marrying of the two and i think fred has really just this is just me observing i think he's really embraced that you got to get stops in the big 10 you go on the road especially like yesterday you know it was bad yesterday yeah they were up 10 and then they were down 10 quickly right and so and 51 on the road in the big 10 let's face it you're not going to beat anybody scoring not, 51 nope not at all bruce chubbick that's good stuff man Thanks for coming in. I appreciate it. Yeah, it's fun. Dude, appreciate this. This was awesome. Yeah. it's uh, If you missed any of our other podcasts, uh, you can go back and listen to the Kyle Peterson interview. That hasn't been our most watched one. Kyle tells some really good stories in there. One TikTok got almost 70,000 views already. Owen found a TikTok, but it, you're going to be on TikTok later on, just to let you know. You're going to be on TikTok. Okay. <laughs> you're going to be uh, you're going to be on YouTube. You're going to be all over the place. The kids these days, they like the TikTok. They, uh, they, they, they sure do. My daughter being one of those. Yeah. Speaking of TikTok, <laughs> uh, search Doc Talk Sports on TikTok. Search Doc Talk Sports on Twitter. Search Doc Talk Sports on Facebook. And, of course, subscribe to our YouTube channel, uh, where, you, of course, you can find this podcast. That is presented by Betfred Sports. For Bruce Chevick, for Dr. Rob Zadiska, for Owen Justice, I'm Travis Justice. We will talk to you next time on the Doc Talk Podcast presented by Betfred Sports. Betfred Sports.